Hello, this is Paul. Welcome back to Brace. Today, Tommy and I are going to be discussing The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. Last week, if you listened, we introduced ourselves and told you what we were going to be doing with this podcast. We thank you to all the listeners that uh, interacted with us, gave us feedback, and, and have started to build our book list. So we have the first couple of books figured out on what we're going to be reading and reviewing with you. Um, and then after that, we're going to be really looking at some of these suggestions that you guys uh, get out there. So if there's any books you're coming across, please send them our way. Uh, Tommy, we are now doing our first book review episode. I'm very excited about it. Um, give me your first uh, impressions and take on um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and your read-through of it. So, Paul, uh, I'm super excited to be here. Uh, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, I think there's a lot of good information within it. And, you know, it starts with a little bit of, you know, telling what he's going to tell you and then him telling you what he had planned on telling you. And then of course, finishing with retelling what he told you. Uh, so it starts with inside out, which is kind of the, the preface or prologue you could say to the habits. And it's really about trying to work on yourself before you can kind of change your surroundings um, you know, kind of in, uh, habit one, he goes into some ideas behind, uh, independent thought and that sort of thing. Um, but again, the, the prologue, uh, inside out is what he calls it. Uh, it talks about paradigm shifting, uh, the idea that two people can see the same image, but understand it in a different way. Uh, and even an individual can see the same thing at different points in their life and interpret that in a different way. And the idea behind that is if you can have a paradigm shift in a positive direction and you can look at things from a new outlook, uh, that can be ever-changing. Uh, ideally, that's the, the thing you hear, a paradigm shift, right? Kind of a, a big moment for things to be changed. Uh, the reason I kind of chose this book, uh, a good buddy of mine recommended it to me and said he really enjoyed it, and so I picked it up. And then uh, as Paul and I were incepting the, I, uh, incepting the idea of this podcast, I saw it on my, kind of on my uh, windowsill, and I thought, you know what? Maybe Paul would like a, a good book to read. So this was really before we even had the plan to uh, kind of go over book reviews. So I just uh, wanted to send him a book just to see uh, what his thoughts and perspectives on it were. And uh, it got me back into reading it. I had only really finished half of it uh, the previous time I had started reading it, but I'm glad I came back to it. Well, with the habits we're going to talk about today, things like beginning with the end in mind, I'm glad that you made it all the way through the book this time. <laughs> yes, I'm glad. Um, I, I like that uh, when we're talking about the inside out and working on uh, yourself first, it, it's something that obviously is um, out there in a lot of the literature and, and some of the talking heads that talk about personal development. Um it's interesting to see the different ways that they phrase it because I, I think, you know, Jordan Peterson um, said, clean your room before you criticize the world or, or something to that nature of, you know, make sure that you know how to take care of yourself and uh, have yourself in order before you start looking for external problems to fix. Because if you haven't fixed yourself up first, um, even if the world were perfect, your life wouldn't be in order. Um and I, I really like when you talk about the, the paradigm shift, um, that one of the subheaders of that section is uh, the way that we see the problem is the problem. I, I, I like approaching life in that mentality of, okay, if, if there's an obstacle, if there's something that I'm seeing as a problem, it's my problem. It's, it's me that needs to fix that. It's me that needs to get a different perspective. Um, and I need to make sure that 
uh, I'm going through all the possible uh, tools in my toolbox to get through that before I, I, I really turn to anybody else. And, and, uh, and, and I like, you know, how he applies that throughout the book in different personal settings and in, in his, his personal family and, and, and the relationships he has with his wife and his kids. And then also in the business world um, through mentoring, things like that. So really I, I enjoyed this book um, all the way through on, on learning what he wanted to teach us here. Uh, but also it really just felt like now after this book, especially with the fact that his son, Sean Covoy uh, gives fresh, fresh insights to each of the, um, habits. It's, it's really interesting, uh, to feel like I, I kind of know that family now, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And, uh, regardless of, you know, if you take anything else out of this book, he makes a really good argument to take all of it out of the book, to use all of these things with his personal stories. Uh, it makes you want to put these habits into your life. And, uh, with that, I think we should start talking about habit one. I agree. So habit one, uh, first of all, the, I, I would just want to bring one second of attention to how he creates the graphic of what the seven habits are. Yes. It's really cool. Um, it, you could probably Google it right now and see. It's basically um, two triangles that are one is sitting on top of the other. Each of those has three habits in it. The, the bottom one is called the private victory. Um, there are three habits that surround that, that hold that in place. Um, and that gives you, uh, independence if you are successfully living out those three habits. Um, and then it gives you three more that are the public victory. Um, and if you're living those out, you're living an interdependent life, which he, he goes through in the, in the beginning, um, how most people are living dependent lives that are simply responding to the stimuli that are in front of them, um, and never kind of develop past that. And then, he explains how some people get only to independence, but the, the real, you know, people living life get to interdependence. Um, and then habit seven is going around the entire thing, uh, which is saying this is how you keep it fresh and new and uh, keep basically renewing. Um, so habit one is be proactive. Tommy, reading through this chapter, what stuck out to you or, or what do we want to talk about first? So I think a few things kind of come to me during this, um, but kind of his definition of proactivity right uh there is stimulus and normally after a stimulus we respond right uh someone someone maybe goes to slap you 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 know you cower away um but the idea is truly that there is a space in between the stimulus and your response where you have the freedom to choose how you respond uh, and he goes into more detail about that uh, kind of breaking down the word responsibility, the ability to respond, uh, understanding that you have that choice to kind of make make your future what it is, right? Responding in the best possible way. Uh, yeah. What? What's the, that was one of the main points that stuck out to me, uh, and then also the circle of influence. Uh, and I can go yep. into that in a little bit, but what what did you think was most important about being proactive? Well, there was a lot. the The circle of influence and circle of concern um, is is something that I've. It, it seems pretty easy to to then identify once you read it and understand what he's talking about. Um, it I find it quite easy now to really identify, oh, that's that's outside of my circle of, of influence. So even if it is in, inside of my circle of concern, I'm not going to uh, give any energy towards it because I, I don't have an impact on the outcome, which I think is what he's he's really trying to get there. And, and I agree. That was uh, one of the big things that I, I felt like as soon as I read it, I could kind of apply it in my life. Like, you know, I sitting on an airplane waiting for it to take off and there's, you know, a half hour delay. Yes, that affects my life. Yes, I wish that wasn't happening, but that is not something that I have any influence over. So it's it's quite easy then to say, well, I just got thirty more minutes of, of reading time. Let's let's take advantage of it. Uh, but one of the ones that I would want to talk about that stuck out to me was the um, talking about reactive versus proactive language, uh, and specifically, it feels like there's really good examples of how 
this paradigm shift can affect your professional relationships, your personal relationships, and even your inner dialogue. Um, so thinking about things like saying, oh, I can't do this. I won't do this. Um, you know, I, I have to do this. Um, being able to then say, actually, um, I'm choosing not to do this. I prefer to do this or, or you know what, I will do this. Um, just turning the, the language you're using about the circumstances that you're in into proactive, which in some way you can turn to mean positive um, language. I, I think that that was a, a really big takeaway. And, and I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm, we're not going to be able to get into the examples that he gives, but they're, uh, at least in my experience, they were very visceral. You could, you could kind of feel what he was trying to say or really believe that that was a real life scenario that he went through. Um, so it feels like a, a very honest book in that sense. Um, what else I are, think, are you thinking uh, of? Going along with the kind of proactive, reactive language. Yeah. Um, one of the really cool things about this book uh, is it's kind of like a, like a coloring book for adults. Now, what I mean by that are there are application suggestions. So different things that he advises to you to do in order to try and implement these habits into your life. Uh, and one of them that I tried out was the 30-day test of proactivity. Um, I got to about like seven days, but it, it did help me start speaking in a different way. Uh, I stopped using, I can't, or I have to, and, uh, tried to start using, well, I, I choose to, right? Like this is, this is my choice. I am where I am either because of action or inaction on my part. And it's, I think it's just cool that he has, similar to what we're trying to do, give actual advice or application suggestions that you can use to actually try and make yourself better. And maybe they don't all work, but it's something. It's one of those things that when you're reading about something, it's, it's so interesting how it brings awareness to you. So one of the other application suggestions for this chapter is for a full day, listen to your language and to the language of the people around you. How often do you use and hear reactive phrases such as, if only I can't or I have to? And whenever you do that, if you, if you take the time to have your mind recognize those phrases, um, it, it is just so interesting how much we can be aware of when it's brought to our attention, when it's, when it's a part of our focus. And I think when he gets, you know, not to skip around too much, but when we get to what his takeaways are for uh, habit number seven, feels like that is uh, one of the things that he's kind of telling us is that as long as you're sharpening your focus around whatever you're focused on, um, you're going to be able to, you know, do great things and, and achieve what you want to achieve. Um, is there anything else that we should touch on here for habit one before we get into habit two? Uh, I think that's most of kind of the higher level stuff. Um, the book goes into way greater detail, but and we're not, like I said, we're not going to be able to do that when it comes to talking about the stories. If there's specific, there's probably one or two that I, I might have highlighted that I'll, I'll want to talk about on very specific stories that he told. But for the most part, it's just going to be, you know, what our takeaways were, and et cetera. So continuing in the private victory uh, section of the book, habit two is begin with the end in mind. Tell me, what, what was the couple of things that stuck out to you first uh, when reading this chapter? So as I was reading the book, I tried to do some application uh, suggestions as well as just my own writing and thoughts. And uh, the way I broke down this one habit into kind of my own sentences, habit two is think with the end in mind which is all about creating a destination you want to reach so that you drive in the right direction. And kind of what that, what that means is if you don't know where you want to end up, then how will you ever reach it? You're driving without a map. And I think that's what habit two is all about. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And um, one of the parts that I found really interesting was uh, when they were going through identifying your center and it kind of, 
gave examples of what the different types of people that there are out there and, and reading it, it was so interesting because if you know anyone really well in your life, you're able to identify what their center is and, and you can kind of see by how, and they break it down into uh, basically these uh, centers that you have um, define the four categories that um, make up who you are, which are your security, your guidance, your wisdom, and your power. Um, so going through, you know, people that are money-centered, people that are work-centered, people that are possession-centered, people that are pleasure-centered, people that are friend-centered, um, you know, church-centered, self-centered, etc. Um, it was really interesting because I think, especially as people develop in general, um, they go through different phases of their life where they have these different centers. So you, most people would be able to identify um, personally with more than one of these, depending on you know where they're at currently with their life um, and what they've been through in the past. Um, and then it it really talks about you know well what's the best way to live out of all of those because all of them have maybe upsides, but all of them definitely do have downsides. And it talks about okay, well what about a, a principle centered life? Um, and then, you know, how do you, how do you find that? Um, and then also talking about writing a personal mission statement, it's not something I had ever done before. Um, and it, I found the exercise to be, uh, really invigorating about, you know, what are you trying to get out of this life? We only get one, you know? So it, it was, it was really fun. Um, what I kind of went on a, a roll there. What were your thoughts on the, the centers and then, um, did you do anything with the personal mission statement? So I had, uh, upon my initial reading, and that was maybe a year ago, uh, was get to this point and do the personal mission statement. And when I got to it this time, I spent, you know, I spent some time kind of rewriting it. And he suggests doing that as well. Um, but I think what's kind of visceral and what really makes you think is, what is the end in the sense that, okay, you're a third-party viewer at your own funeral. What do you want your friends, your family, your community to say about you? And that's one potential way to kind of think with the end in mind. What's really most important to you that when you're gone, you've left behind? Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's such a, a powerful image and, and anyone who has had family members close to them or, or, or close personal friends pass away and have gone to a funeral and seen that powerful um, example of, of, you know, who they were to their community, to their family, to their friends. Um, you know, they can, re most people are able to relate with that. And, and, you know, hopefully there are some people our age that still haven't had uh, a personal tragedy with someone close to them um, that they've been able to see that, but maybe it was a, a friend's parent or maybe it was uh, someone at their school or something. And, and you got to see the display of how the entire community came out to support. Um, it, it really gives you the inspiration to say, you know, I, I want to do that. I want to be um, a member of the community that people would miss if I, if I'm gone or if I have to move or anything like that. And I want to be valued in my family and I want to have, you know, real loving connections. Um, and one of the th one of the other things that I do want to mention uh, here was the identifying roles and goals. I really enjoyed that exercise just because it's it's limitless. Um, if you can break down who you are a little bit further, which all of us usually can, um, you can give yourself another role and then think critically and create a new goal out of that. Um, so I think initially when we talked, I had written down like ten roles for myself. Um, and you had identified four or excuse me, six or seven. Yeah. I think um, it was and six. so, so you kind of said, Oh wow, that's, that's cool. There's a couple more there. And, and with your response there, I was like, well, and I should be able to come up with a couple more too. Um, but it's important because what they're trying to do is, is break your life down into manageable pieces, but not the most manageable, not just breaking down and saying, who am I going to be today? What do I need to get done today? What activity is needed to get closer to my goals? But actually by the week, which is a more manageable piece of time to think about who you are in each of these roles in your life. Um, so if you're, you know, uh, a 
son or a daughter, there might be days when, you know, you don't really talk to your mom or dad because you're an adult, you're living off on your own. Um, but you can identify, okay, over this week, I need to, you know, talk to my mom on the phone for, for this amount of time, or, or at least text my dad, you know, um, on the weekends, whatever it might be. Um, and I don't know, I, I really enjoyed that section of it. And I think when I'm revisiting this book, I'm going to revisit that every time too, and, and try to create more roles for myself, um, to, you know, leave a more, lead a more fulfilled life. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't mean to step on your toes, Paul, but I think you dove into habit three, first things first. Oh, oops. Well, did I? <laughs> it's very possible, but it, hey. it's not a big deal because it, the private victories really all kind of come together. Right? right. Like you have to be proactive to understand that you choose where you want to be. You have to think with the end in mind. And then with thinking in the end in mind, you then move on to habit three, which is put first things first. And so pretty much exactly what you were talking about, um, understanding what needs to be done in a week's time frame. Uh, and so my bad, that definitely was a chapter ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That was for coming attractions. There you go. Hey, go ahead. No big deal. No big deal. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that kind of leads us right into, into habit three and, uh, it's kind of the cherry on top of the private victory, um, trying to lead an independent life. Uh, and pretty much exactly what you said, right? Like when you have your, your personal mission statement, when you understand where you want to be, you can break it down into relatively smaller roles. Uh, And his suggestion is to have two to three things for each role that you'd like to get done in the week and plan out that week. Uh, He recommended doing it on Sunday, uh, just kind of spending an hour. uh, Maybe your first time you're going to spend a a little bit longer than that, but understanding that those are the critical things uh, and you know, I guess we'll get into it as well, but I'm pretty sure this is the chapter that talks about the the four quadrants. Uh, so what did you think about those? Yeah, so the management matrix is what you're referring to there. And, and what this is, is if you think of a Punnett square or any four by four, you've got uh, urgent versus not urgent on the top and important versus not important on the side. Um, so quadrant one activities would be very urgent and very important. And quadrant four activities would be not urgent and not important. And uh, in this part of the book, he kind of just goes through how most people live their life, which is in quadrant one, which is basically saying only the urgent things that are important are what I'm dealing with. And they say, if you know, if 90% of your time is, is spent there, you're going to end up stressed uh, and burnout and you know, always trying to put out the fires of whatever's going on in your life. Um, I really, unfortunately, identify with that section of my life or that section of the of the book. I mean, I'm uh, famous for you know being eight hours away from from hopping on a flight and and having an empty bag sitting in my room. You know, all of that. Um, but it talks about really the the best way to live is by being able to. Uh, amplify the amount of your time that is spent in the quadrant two of that matrix, which is the important things that are not currently urgent. Um, That's really the relationship building, the uh, recognizing and pursuing new opportunities, things like that. Um, Recreation, uh, you know, even uh, physical uh, activity, you know, going to the gym or, or being a part of some sort of league um, that engages you physically. Um, all of that stuff would be quadrant two. And, and I, I, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to, to read it because I, again, you know, it, it just allows you to see something you hadn't seen before. And that was a, a paradigm of how life is lived that I'd never considered. Um, what were your thoughts on, on that particular part? Well, I thought it was really interesting that you can break down life into four quadrants right? (laughs) Um, But in a sense, right? Like, I know, I know from personal experience that, you know, the quadrant one activities, right? Like your phone ringing, right? It's urgent. And whether it's important or not, you're going to pick it up, right? Because it's, it's one of those urgent things. So even, you know, quadrant one and three, um, 
those things come up and you try and you try and respond to them immediately right and it in a sense goes back to habit one where you're taking away your space in between your response right you're not thinking through what the stimulus is um well it's urgent so i better deal with it and there's a time and a place for that uh but i really i really think that when you break down your roles and you're trying to plan out a week you want to put on the stuff that is in quadrant two it's the stuff that you wouldn't normally get done because it's not urgent right so setting aside time to maybe not make it urgent but make it something worth doing or worth exploring worth practicing yep Yep. yeah you're not going to hear any disagreement from me um and the what i thought was was interesting with that too is how they suggest you um schedule your your weeks and then how you adapt um you know, with, with the day, because one of the things that has always been true for me is, um, I'm a really spontaneous person. So when somebody wants to hang out, wants to, you know, have some plans that, you know, we're, we're talking about same day coming up with it. I love being able to say yes to that. So it's always been hard for me to, um, block off big chunks of my time. And, you know, on, on Sunday night, know what I'm going to be doing all through the week. Cause that takes away the, the possibility for spontaneity. Um, so he does a really good job of breaking down how you create that weekly schedule, which is basically you start with your personal mission statement. And then from that, you develop the goals, excuse me, the, the roles that you're um, inhabiting and, and wanting to forward, um, putting the first things first. And then you're taking those roles, um, getting the three goals that you want for the week. And then you have your week in front of you and you put them in where they go. And like I said, putting the first things first. So when at the end of your, you know, week you, you see when you're when you're planning things out, oh, there were, you know, three things that I had planned to do but didn't get around to. If it's the bottom of that list, then you did the right things. You put the first things first. You may have had to adapt and um, do something spontaneous or change your schedule around, but because you planned out a week ahead, you were able to say, okay, since I, I missed this thing, which was critical for me, I'm replacing that with a thing that was less critical a couple of days from now. Um, so that that was really how he organized that was big for me. I think uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum from you know you being spontaneous, wanting to go do those things, I know the last time I did uh, 75 hard, I planned out my day every 30 minutes so like i knew i would be doing this thing and then this thing and then a homework assignment and then a workout and then a, and what it does when you plan it out so in depth is it doesn't allow for any spontaneity um and in the event that an urgent thing comes up a quadrant one right so it's important and it's urgent now your schedule's thrown off it puts you in a bad mood uh, oh, well, now how am I supposed to get to the rest of the stuff? The rest of my day is already planned out. Um, and so changing, right, having that paradigm shift and and trying to plan it a little bit more, putting first things first in a sense, right? Like you know what's the critical things that need to be done during the week and you set aside time to do them. And if it ends up not being able to done at that specific time, you still understand that, those are the important things to get done. You can rearrange. Yep, exactly. Um, and I think with that, we can we can move on to the public victory part, but I'll, I'll leave our listeners with the last sentence of uh, the, the third habit, which is, I wish you success in saying no more often so that you can say yes to the people and things that matter most to you. Um, I thought that was a, a good way to end the, the private victory. And, and moving to public victory, we've got, Habit number four, which is think win-win. What were your thoughts on thinking win-win? Was there anything that was um, paradigm shifting for you? I mean, as he kind of lines out the different ways of having, how do you say, uh, having interpersonal relationships or arguments, there's essentially... I guess five different five different avenues you can take. Um, you know, 
the best and the one that he is promoting is win-win. Um, but there's also win-lose, lose-win, uh, lose-lose, win, and win-win or no deal. Uh, and so both win-win and win-win or no deal are the ones he advocates for. Uh, and we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, I just know this was one of the more difficult habits for me to try and implement. Uh, I grew up like playing a bunch of different sports Mm -hmm. and, you know, winning isn't everything, but it sure makes it a hell of a lot more fun. And, uh, I also enjoy playing board games and the goal in that, if you're not playing a, you know, collaborative board game is to win. Right, it's way more fun. Uh, but I also know that you know maybe one of my downfalls is that I sometimes put winning ahead of of others, and so it's it, it's a hard it's a hard one to shift my perspective on, and I understand it. And again, he lays out some very great examples of how this works better. Um, it would just, for me, be one of the more difficult ones to actually implement. You know, that's funny. Um, you mentioned games being an influence. Well, my family over the pat, my family is big into all kinds of games, board games, card games, whatever. Um, and more recently, we've been playing a lot more of the cooperative games where you win or lose together and you're maybe you're trying to beat, you know, your best time or, or whatever it is. Um, and they're... I find that actually it's um, a lot more fun and fulfilling because there's a good chance that everyone wins and you can, you know, at the end of the game, have a a group feeling of of accomplishment rather than someone being dejected because they got (laughs) last place. Um, Yeah. And and it was really interesting. Just he did go into each of those um, different uh, paradigms of human interaction that you mentioned there, win, lose, you know, lose, win, lose, lose, win etc. And it was interesting to me to learn about, um, you know, how education even works about, you know, it's, you try to think that it's a collaborative enterprise in some way, you know, it takes a village to, to teach a kid or whatever. But this is a direct quote, competition, not cooperation lies at the core of the educational process. Cooperation, in fact, is usually associated with cheating. Um, and I just think about all of the homework assignments that you had where it was just you know do this thing by yourself where that it was very true and when being judged you know teachers would curve it so we were just judged on how we did compared to the other people in the class Um, when you think about college admissions it's like you know where you were in your class whether you were a valedictorian or your top 10 percent or top 25 percent all of that stuff really matters and that's same thing that's how the act is scored right it's it's on a comparative basis to the other people that took that exact test um so really interesting to to look through that and see that that a lot of times is the paradigm internally at companies i um he gets into that a bit about uh, more in some of the later chapters also but how uh plenty of times there are uh managers that are trying to create win-win scenarios um and really they're creating win-lose scenarios. They're creating internal competition and that doesn't build collaboration. So, um, yeah, that was really interesting. Um, I, uh, it's interesting. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think, uh, once we get into habit six synergy, it makes a lot more sense that win-win is really the way you want to move. It's, it's the idea that, you know, you can actually collaborate and come up with a better solution than, either individual may have thought on their own and i think that's pretty cool this uh this also stuck out to me i I have some highlights in the book so that's if i'm reading some quotes um bear with me but one of the things that he's talking about is in relationships thinking win-win uh when you're dealing with a person who is coming from the paradigm of always thinking win-lose um how you interact and in the relationship is still the key you have to keep hammering it out until the other person starts to realize that you genuinely want the resolution to be a real win for both of you. Um, so that, that's quite interesting. And, and he talks about the difference between transactional leaders and transformational leaders. Um, 
and and creating win-win environments, which is which is really cool. I think anybody that's in uh, a leadership position in uh, a professional workplace should definitely at least read this section of the book. Like that's a it, it's it's quite powerful. I would completely agree. And uh, if if you don't have anything else on habit four. Uh, I think I've got a good transition into habit five. Go ahead then. All right. So habit four, you know, is thinking win-win. And what is one of the best ways to do that? Uh, And so habit five, kind of building on the public victory, is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And the way it kind of broke down for me is if you allow someone else who may not be thinking in that win-win they may be thinking the win-lose if you allow them to speak first you know you're trying to understand them you ask them questions you listen um and you actively listen right like you're you're trying to assist them in understanding their point of view uh then they're going to be a lot more receptive to listening to your thoughts right uh and so that's kind of habit five in a in a very short brief sentiment but what do you think about habit five yeah habit five was was interesting i think that's something that is actually a, a pretty natural um ability for me not to toot my own horn too much but anyone who's in sales has to have some talent when it comes to listening in general um and empathetic listening specifically you know if you if you want to be effective and and he does mention this in the book if you want to be effective in sales you need to not try to sell what you've got but you need to identify and understand a problem with the client that you're working with and work with them and you know pr- provide any any knowledge that you have to see if the solution that you happen to be representing fixes their problem. And if it does, then wonderful. You've got a match made in heaven. And that's why I've, I've always said, um, uh, salespeople aren't, aren't salespeople, they're problem solvers. So if, if you can identify the problem and help them solve it, that's how you, you land a sale. Um, and yeah, I really like when he was talking about the empathetic listening specifically, um, he, he said people are, are constantly basically trying to project their own life movies onto other people's behavior. Um, and they're trying to, you know, basically tell them or, or interact with them as if the reason they're doing or saying or thinking what they're doing or saying or thinking is because of the same reason that you might do that thing. Um, and that is almost always not true. So instead taking a step back to understand their roots, where they're coming from and, uh, why they've arrived, where they've arrived then allows you to, when you fully understand that and can articulate it back to them, it automatically opens up trust because no one ever does that. That's really what he's saying here. Empathetic listening is is a, a, a very hard habit to uh, develop because everyone is always trying to think about how they're going to respond. So when you release that part of how you listen and you just try to listen to understand, um, it's really cool because then that is that is how you respond is is you your your brain going through the process of um, understanding what they are conveying to you and internalizing it so that you can say it back to them in in a different way. Um, yeah, and it was interesting. Uh, this is one of those statistics that is thrown out there all the time, but it always blows my mind whenever um, it's said, right? Only 10% of our communication is represented by the words we say. Another 30% is represented by our sounds and 60% is our body language. So in the medium that you and I have right here, we're missing out over half of the possible communication that we can have. And I think that's true. I think you can hear the the intonation in people's voices and and you can understand the, the words that are coming out, but you are missing emotion. You are missing emotion. And that's one of the biggest parts of communication. So, Paul, what I think you're trying to say is that. <laughs> well <laughs> no, done. I'm just. <laughs> well done. No, it's uh, it's it's definitely an interesting habit, and uh, it's again, I I think these public victories are definitely longer term. I don't think you're going to pick up the book and be able to implement them immediately. 
uh, and it really also takes kind of the buildup of those first three habits, those private victories, to have the understanding in yourself to not want to respond, to not want to, you know, be the one loud and boisterous and, well, my opinions are right, that's, that sort of thing. It's uh, It's another difficult habit, but one worth doing. Well, and the other half of it, right? It's it's seek first to understand, then to be understood. So it's not just saying be a good listener. It's it's saying make sure that after you've done your part to understand where the other person's coming from, um, do your part now to correctly communicate to them your perspective. Um, and and part of that is understanding that most people aren't empathetic listeners, so you have to over overly communicate and um, go back and ensure that they're on the same page the whole time. Um, so I think it's it's quite interesting how um, they go through specifically the insights after uh, the the chapter, the insights by Sean Covoy, specifically his story about how he really wanted his son to play football. Um, because he was a, a quarterback at BYU and ended up tearing his ACL um, in his senior year, kind of ending his football dreams. Um, he had to really uh, reshape his perspective and his thinking a- about how he had his relationship with his son around sports when his son said, I wanted to quit football. Um, and you have to, it's really awesome because this habit uh, gives you the tools to go back and and go back to the personal side of things. Understand it's it's you. Work on yourself so that you can grow in that relationship. And he he tells you know uh, us readers how he does that. So uh, was there anything else um, that stuck out to you that we should mention in habit five? Um, no, I think that's uh that's most of it. Uh, Again, really, really just practicing it, I think, is important. Uh, oh, and one one thing, yeah, just when you mentioned practicing it, they mentioned specifically one of the takeaways you can do is um, if you're having some sort of problems with a relationship, um, a you know, a, whether it's personal, whether it's business, whether it's family, um, you can go to them and say, "Hey, I I listened to this podcast and it it brought me." Um, it brought to my attention or, or made me think of our relationship because I think we haven't been approaching it in a, in a win-win way. And I want to see if you and I can sit down and um, fix some of these problems we've been having or reshape the dynamic of our relationship or our agreement or whatever it is um, and, and see if they're open to it. Cause a lot of people will say that they are, but then you have to do your, your part, which is um, really, listen with the intent of being on their side. That's what, that's kind of what it means with the, with empathetic listening. And, and he, they go through examples of how um, plenty of times in business, you know, they were on the edge of litigation um, and they ended up being able to bring in decision makers and sit down and say, Hey, let's think win-win here. Going to the courts is never going to be win-win because we're both going to be hemorrhaging money in legal fees what can we do to, to make this work? And through the um, empathetic listening and then basically advocating for the other side saying, I understand what you want here. Here's my perspective. Here's what I need in order for this to be a win. How do we get there? And then you're just, you're creatively working together on it, which is, which is really cool. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good segue into synergize, which is habit number six. And I'm, I'm excited to hear what you want to talk about with this, because when we were talking before, you said, you know, when have you gotten to habit six yet? That's I, I really am excited about it. This is this is the best one by far. So what stuck out? What makes this the best habit or the, the most interesting for you? So I think what's really cool about this habit is it breaks all math laws. The <laughs> idea that one plus one can equal more than two is just so cool to me. Uh, so what synergy kind of what, how he explains what synergy is, is as you try and think win-win, as you try to seek first to understand and then to be understood, 
collaboratively working with others, you can create something more than what you could have created on your own. And I, he goes into detail about one of his experiences doing it. And again, reading it just, it makes you want to have that experience of synergy. And I know, you know, years back, uh, you and me were talking on the phone and it just felt like what we were talking about, we were coming up with good ideas. I don't even exactly know what it was, but it just felt, it felt weird and felt good. And it seemed like we were doing more than what either of us could do on, on our own. Yep. I totally, I, I don't know if I remember the exact conversation, (laughs) but, um, I, I, I do remember that feeling in, on some of our, uh, some of our discussions, that's for sure. When it comes to uh, the uh, kind of what I was talking about a second ago, when it, when it comes to the levels of communication, he has a, a really interesting, uh, another little chart, which talks about, you know, if, if you have this much cooperation and this much trust, where are you? Um, and so if you have low cooperation and low trust, you're in a, in a defensive stance, right? You, you're looking for a win-lose um, situation, pretty much. You're, you're trying to win. You're trying to make sure that you get as much as you can out of the transaction. But as cooperation goes up, as trust goes up, you're more likely to have a respectful interaction and, and be able to compromise and, and find um, wins uh, of some sort. Uh, but then as you get to the highest levels of both trust and cooperation, that's where you find synergy. And that's where... Um, I, I, there were a lot of really cool stories in here, but um, kind of just talking about how he was always fishing for that third alternative whenever there was competing interests. Um, he, he has a good story about, you know, uh, there's a, a family where um, the dad has planned out a fishing trip for the boys for some number of, of months. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, the mom's mom who's sick with cancer has, you know, something happened and and the mom wants to go there immediately and, and how they have, you know, obviously there are immediate competing interests there. And if there's low trust and, and, and not good communication, likely someone's going to be hurt and the ramifications of that will be very long lasting in that relationship versus if you have high trust and high communication, then you can stop, put the emotions to the side um, make sure both of you fully understands the point of view and, and where they're coming from and why they think that. Cause you know, if you, you married someone, they probably have some good ideas um, and then find a solution that doesn't lead to any hurt on either side and, and, you know, finding that win-win and, and that wouldn't have been done if um, either of them had just decided, okay, I'm going to go for a lose win here. I'm just going to let, you know, let them go do what they want to do. Um, instead they're saying, we can we can do something here that's going to work for both of us. What is it? And, and thinking creatively around that. I think you bring up a really good point with the third alternative. I think a lot of people see things in a binary sense, one or zero, right? I'm either right or wrong. Um, and I think when you use these public victory habits, uh, trying to build an inter interdependent sort of life uh you can start to see other people's perspectives you can start to try and work together to come up with something better right it could be a combination of you know both alternatives one and two or it could be something that neither of you ever even thought of and this doesn't only work for you know two individuals this could be two groups or it could be a group of people uh, trying to work on a project, you know, coming together with different ideas and different perspectives, different backgrounds. I just, I, I really enjoyed reading this habit. And, yeah. you know, I I think thinking back on me trying to start my own podcast, it was very difficult. Um, wasn't able to kind of follow through in a sense. Um but I think our strengths and weaknesses, we're able to have this discourse, you know, kind of set it up, you know, plan out for the future. It it just seems in a way synergistic. <laughs> I agree with you. And yeah, there's there's one thing that um, 
is based off of what you were just talking about there. And one other thing that I want to talk about for this chapter. Um, so when, when you're talking about bringing all the different types of people together and seeing if you can come up with a third alternative, uh, some new idea other than the established options that are out there. Um, I thought it was really interesting when uh, he was talking about the different types of intelligence that people have. Um, he said, most people uh, possess at least one of these attributes. Most people have more, but that's uh, spatial intelligence, linguistic intelligence, logical slash mathematical intelligence, uh, kinesthetic intelligence, musical intelligence, interpersonal intelligence, intrapersonal intelligence, naturalist, um, and existential uh, intelligence. And all of that I found really fascinating because I, I could identify, okay, here are a couple that I, I think I have, and here are a couple that I have absolutely none of. So um, if there are situations where um, I need people that have really good um, musical intelligence, for instance. Um, I know that that's not a part of my skill set, and I would love to, you know, bring what I can to the table on the linguistic front and on the, you know, mathematical front um, to contribute. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all made differently. Um, and the other thing that I wanted, it, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's uh, it's definitely a important part of it. You know, everybody has these different perspectives and come from different backgrounds and it's almost a waste to not use those differences to come up with alternative solutions. It, it yeah. just allows for so much more brain power, so much more experience, so much more wisdom to bring to the table. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I just wanted to, to mention, which is I think pretty funny, which was um, in the, subheading of all nature is synergistic there was a, a little phrase that said uh it's um sy synergy works it's teamwork it's team building it's the development of unity and creativity with other human beings and just that made me think about how um our ultimate team actually um had synergy when you think about the lines that would play together oh yeah um, you know i know that when when Griffin and Kevin were on the field, like, you know, <laughs> things are crazy. And then the same thing later with, with Nolan and Derek, when those guys were on the field, it's like we had the ability to be better than any of us could be individually because we had oh, for sure. learned each other and learned how we played and, and we knew how to, how to play synergistically. So the strengths bring up the weaknesses of the others and exactly. everyone builds each other up, you know, exactly. trying to think in that way. And that takes us to part four, which is renewal. Um, and this is the last habit, the one that encapsulates all the rest of them, uh, which is sharpen the saw. And that's the, the principles of a balanced self-renewal. So what, pray tell, stuck out to you with this chapter? So in this chapter, he discusses kind of how you build up all the other habits. Um, and the four dimensions of renewal that he mentions are physical, mental, spiritual, and social slash emotional and trying to work on all of these four things will allow you to be better in all the other six habits um i know you know from personal experience as i'm in the middle of uh, a 75 hard that you know working on the physical the mental um trying to write things down kind of the the spiritual right meditating um, all these things have started to uplift me and and help me develop these other habits. Um, I feel pretty strong in the in the private victories and you know want to continue sharpening my saw so that the uh, public victories can also be heard. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great to hear. And uh, congratulations and keep working on that seventy five. I know that that's it's quite fulfilling and it's quite difficult, but, um, I hope you've given yourself a little bit more leeway than every 15 or 30 minutes, uh, <laughs> scheduled well, out. Seriously, the, uh, putting first things first has helped a ton and it's nice to kind of come back after work and know what I already have planned out. Not that it has to be strict every 15 minutes. And if, you know, something comes up, I have the ability to rearrange things. It's way way better and i feel that i won't have the burnout at the end uh like i did on my first 75 hard that's good 
I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, and when it comes to the the sharpening of the saw, I think one of the things that was really important was um, how he what he called the the daily private victory, um, which was basically sharpening the saw in the first three dimensions: the physical, the spiritual, the spiritual, and the mental. Um, and he said, "Look, if you take an hour of your day at the beginning of every day to sharpen that, to you know, take time to meditate, take maybe take time to pray." do a little bit of exercise, get your heart rate up, um, and do some reading, do some writing basically. Um, and, and I, it, it's really funny. Cause like I, you know, I mentioned Jordan Peterson earlier. Um, Hal Elrod is another, uh, person and an author who I've read, who is uh, quite inspirational and, and has done some amazing things with his life d- despite very difficult circumstances. Um, and his miracle morning is basically that same thing. He has, you know, you, you need to include silence, uh, affirmations, visualization, um, uh, exercise, reading and writing as, you know, your, uh, first hour of the day. So that's basically the exact same thing as what, uh, Mr. Covoy here, uh, is suggesting. And it's, it's so interesting that these people who, um, find themselves, uh, having the audience of millions and millions of people are all saying the same thing. Yeah. I think, uh, kind of along those same lines, um, maybe I, I'm not sure who I've gotten it from, but, and maybe I'm putting it in, into my own words, but essentially if, if you have that daily private victory, right? Like the rest of the day is a gift, right? Like you've, you've already succeeded in, in doing the important, not urgent things, those quadrant two activities. And you can know that you are moving in the right direction towards where you want to go. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and that, I think moving off of that, the two other things that are, are worth noting, one would be the up, upward spiral that he talks about, which is basically building your conscience and, um, building basically where you're going with your life. And it, um, you know, it said it requires regular feasting on inspirational literature, thinking noble thoughts. And above all, living in harmony with its still small voice, talking about your conscience. Um, and I, I think that's at the the depths of it, that really encapsulates everything that he's trying to say here, which is, um, you know, take the time, reflect, and um, live with truth, live in, in, in the right, you know, in the right way. Um, so that was, that was really cool to read and, and see articulated. Um, what other thoughts do you have? I I think I might have one other thing, but, um, are there any kind of recaps you have on, on the, the seven habits or, or any uh, other stories we didn't get to that were definitely worth, worth mentioning? I think, uh, just one thing I would bring up, uh, again, those application suggestions, right? It's, it's identifying a problem and also providing a solution, uh, similar to what you said about being in sales, um, by using some of these kind of thought experiments, um, being able to kind of reflect on what you read, right? So it's not just in one ear or I guess in one eye, out the other eye, <laughs> if you're reading, um, or if you're doing an audiobook, I guess in one ear, out the other. Um, I totally, with that metaphor, lost what I was going to say. But my point it's, was... It's, I, uh, you were trying to say live it out. Yeah. Yeah. Do these things. Right. I mean, and don't expect to be perfect immediately. Um, the visual for that upward spiral in habit seven, uh, learn, commit, do right. So learn what you need to do, say you're going to do it and then do it right. Like, and, and then continue on that, on that circular pattern. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed the book and, and I'm working on implementing these habits. Um, I know that I find use in them, and, and maybe it's not for everybody, but it, even if there's one thing that stood out to you or something that you can practice or try, you know, maybe maybe you'll see a, a, a little upward spiral of your own. Absolutely. Um, I agree with you, and, and I think that the the takeaways from this book will be very hard to implement. In reality, it's, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of focus to um, 
fully commit to the roles that I've identified for myself um, on the private side. And it's going to take a lot of practice to, in my interactions, in my personal life, in my family life, in my uh, professional life, to bring to the table a win-win mentality all the time, which I think is the biggest thing is saying, okay, whatever the circumstance, here's where I'm standing. Please help me understand where you're standing so that we can get further together here. Um, and yeah, you know, I agree with you completely. If there's, if there's a single takeaway you guys get from this, awesome. We're glad to help you out, provide some value for you in your life. Um, and we would love to hear from you. If, if there's any stories you guys have, uh, comment on our Instagram, send us an email, whatever it is. Um, we, we want to know, um, what you learned. We want to know what you already knew. Um, and we want to know how we can be better. Um, and in the spirit of improvement, there are a couple of um, habits that the the son that kind of uh, came through and gave us additional insights on this book uh, gives for the seven habits in general. And there are a couple that I thought um, were worth mentioning here. Um, one thing we didn't really talk about was becoming a transition person. Um, that one was was big for me, and that means you know everybody has damage in their lives, right? There, there's been hurt. There's whether it's, you know, physical abuse or mental abuse or spiritual abuse or um, just neglect or, you know, whatever that might have looked like. Um, nobody's, nobody comes out uh, perfect. And so being the person that says, you know, I'm not going to pass that on to my kids and being very intentional with your relationships, um, you know, or, or, or I'm not gonna, you know, have the marriage that ends that way and being very intentional with your marriage or your friendships, all the different ways you can apply it. Um, be the person that stops whatever damage you've come, uh, into, uh, in, in, into an encounter with in your life. Don't pass on those things like it is human nature to do. Um, do you have any others uh, that were big for you to to go and mention? Um, on habit three, uh, one of the things he points out, eliminate the unimportant. Uh, so the stuff that is just unimportant, you don't need to do, right? Even if it is a phone call or a text, maybe take a moment to, do I need to respond to this right away? Um, I think with that, and I may have mentioned this in the last one, but get rid of the notifications for the apps on your phone, right? Mm. Those things, they are designed in order to take your attention away from what you're doing and spend it on the phone. Yep. And so if you can eliminate the unimportant or at least make it more difficult to do... Are you saying delete your Twitter? <laughs> I might be saying delete your Twitter. That that might be that might be the shorter way to say what I'm saying. Uh, but I think I think that's important. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's most of what I wanted to say. Cool. Yeah. The the other one on the public victory that we didn't really mention um, is building your emotional bank account with others. And, oh. and kind of that was that was a big visual for me um, throughout the the second half of the book that it probably is bad we didn't mention so far oh and my just, gosh yeah <laughs> it, you know being able to to make a deposit just means finding where they need you in the relationship and spending time and energy there um i think is a is a good way of of putting it um i guess uh kind of just quickly defining what the emotional bank account is it's it's think of it as like a, a money bank account right you put in deposits and you take out withdrawals and in each relationship, if you withdraw more than you have in your emotional bank account, that relationship will not succeed, right? So so try and do good on others, right? Kind of golden rule, treat others how you'd want to be treated. Um, but by doing little things, being able to listen, uh, being able to spend time with those people, they, those are deposits into the emotional bank account. It's how you continue to build trust and kind of allows you to move to that point of synergy and kind of the win-win mentality. Yeah. And it's, it's really easy to, to imagine it. I mean, if, if one of the examples he gives is, is when he was a CEO or, you know, the chair of, of one of his organizations and there was a very important decision that he had already basically made up his mind on what he thought. 
um, and someone else in the organization came to him and said, circumstances have changed. This is the only good option that we have right now. Um, and he didn't have the time to devote to it. And rather than say, no, we're going with what I had already thought, he said, okay, if, if you say that this is the best way to go, I'll, I'll believe you. Uh, and, and it was just because they had already built up that high emotional bank account that he was able to just say, look, I trust you go make the best decision for us. Um, and same thing with, you know, his relationship with, um, his son, uh, or not his relationship with his son, but there's a, a pretty interesting exercise where he's talking about a father and son where, you know, the father isn't effectively communicating with his son. And that makes the emotional bank account drain to the point where when his son has uh, a really important problem or issue that he wants to go to his dad to, there's not enough trust there. He's, he's just gonna, you know, close up. Um, so it's, it's, you know, we, I think we've all been there in our lives where there are people that are on both sides of it. Um, so just being aware of that and thinking about that in your relationships and being intentional with making those deposits uh, is really important. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think that's a pretty good cap to it all. What do you think, Paul? Uh, should we should we do ratings? Should we like say, hey, this in out of ten, oh. give it a score? <laughs> Would that be fun? I think that could be fun. I mean, oh, but I guess we have nothing really to judge it against. We right? don't. This we being don't. the first one, this is the first one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave room, but I'm gonna call it really good. I'm gonna give it an eight point two. Interesting. You know what? I'm gonna give it an eight point. Two, three, four. Stop it. That's not fair. Okay. <laughs> 8.234. You got it. I'm, I'm going to start keeping the ledger so that we're, we're aware. Fair um, enough. Cool. Tommy, uh, what are we going to be reading next time that we talk about a book? So if you guys would like to uh, kind of read along with us, we're going to be reading, uh, and I believe in about a month, uh, pr- try and put out a podcast every two weeks and kind of go back and forth between current events and books so somewhere in uh somewhere kind of end of march we'll be reading atomic habits by james clear uh and you know the little subtitles on here tiny changes remarkable results and an easy and proven way to build good habits and break good ones or break bad ones jeez man breaking good habits always a good don't don't break idea. those ones don't break those ones yeah, I, I like the idea of getting uh, 1% better every day, which is what he's talking about here. Um, and I'll be interested to see. Um, I actually was, was talking with a friend over the weekend who mentioned that she had just recently read this book. So I was like, no way. I've, we're we're going to be reading that next. So I'm very excited to get into it and talk with you all next time. Yes. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, again, uh, if you learned something here that you think that anyone in your life could use, please share this this episode. We we very much appreciate that. Um, we're going to be spreading by word of mouth. So if, if you guys uh, find any value, please don't hesitate to reach out to us with any suggestions. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Bye-bye.